Years ago, I, I'm kind of a boxing fan, and I've enjoyed watching uh, fights over the years, but um, Buster Douglas was a 42-to-1 underdog when he fought Mike Tyson, but he won. Isn't that, ex- isn't that exciting when an underdog wins? Uh, if, if it's your team, right? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, sometimes we have these surprising victories in our lives, and uh, what a great and, and fun thing that is. But Jesus won a very surprising victory. When he was hanging on the cross, it seemed to everyone who looked at him that he had been defeated. He he was upon the cross, either completely stripped of his clothing, or perhaps maybe with a loincloth. He had been beaten. He had been spit upon. He had been mocked. He had been scorned. And it was still going on as he hung upon the cross. You would have thought he'd been defeated. But it was actually his day of greatest victory. Because at the cross, Jesus fulfilled the mission for which God had sent him. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. As as those who were looking to him thought he was defeated, Jesus won the victory. And so much so, it was very evident that God was doing a work that the Roman soldier that was standing there said, Surely this man was the Son of God. We need to understand about the cross because if you don't know Jesus, there's no other way to come into relationship with God, to have eternal life, to have forgiveness, but through the cross of Jesus Christ. So you need to understand that. If you're a child of God, you need to understand the cross and maybe be reminded of the cross so that you will trust God with your life, with your service for Him, with your access to Him so that you can walk in fellowship. It is by faith and it is by grace that we come into the presence of God and that we serve God and that we live for God. And it all comes about through the cross. I want to tell you, I couldn't stand here and preach without the cross of Jesus Christ. I couldn't live the Christian life without the cross of Jesus Christ. I would have no hope apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. It is that central. And uh, this scripture, Luke tells us about this surprising victory And uh, he does so in several ways that we're going to look at. And we need to trust in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross for our forgiveness and for our victory in this life. The title of my message is God's Surprising Victory. Look with me at verse 32 of Luke 23. It says, Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and the one on the left. 
Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was written above him, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said unto him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. God's surprising victory. How does he win this surprising victory? Well, first of all, I want you to see that he confirms prophecy. He confirms prophecy. The enemies of Jesus, in putting him to death, thought they were stopping God's plan, but they were actually fulfilling God's plan. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All the prophecies of God that he had made in the Old Testament uh, about the suffering of the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the cross became a pointer. So Jesus' enemies, and even Satan himself, the enemy of God, in trying to put Jesus to death, actually put a big pointer upon Jesus that showed that he was the Messiah God had talked about in the Old Testament. Daniel said this, this anointed one will be cut off. And he gave the timetable of that. And it was the very timetable of Jesus' death. Fulfilled at the cross. So much so that one uh, Jewish scholar, Michael Brown, said, If Jesus is not the Christ, then no one can be. Only he fulfills that prophecy. In this very scripture, Luke um, mentions several things that show us that prophecy is being fulfilled. In verse 33, he says, Jesus was crucified along with criminals. Uh, in Psalm 53 and verse 9, uh, God predicts Jesus' association with criminals in his death and even having a point, uh, a place of burial uh, appointed for him with criminals even though he also had one with a rich man, as, uh, as the prophecy tells us. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea, we didn't read that far in the chapter, but Joseph of Arimathea comes and, and uh, begs by, uh, Pilate for the body of Jesus and buries him in his own rich man's tomb. So the prophecy that he would be have a grave appointed with the wicked and also in a rich man's tomb, both of those things were fulfilled. Uh, 
Verse 34, it says, they divided his clothes and cast lots. There's a, 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 a number of places that talk about this in the Old Testament. But Psalm 22:18 is one that specifically predicts this would take place. Uh, if you look at verse 35, Jesus is called the chosen one. Isaiah uh, 42 and verse 1 uh, mentions that the Messiah would be called the chosen one. Uh, then in verse 36, the soldiers uh, came and offered him sour wine. Uh, Psalm 69 verse 21 talks about that sour gall or vinegar or, or, or wine that would be offered him. Um, then uh, if you look in Isaiah 52, 13... Uh, through 5312, uh, and Psalm 22 as a whole, you will see a very specific description of the events of Jesus' death, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and even before crucifixion was invented. This is truly remarkable. So, Jesus confirms the prophecies of God. Uh, a man in our church uh, told me, as he was sharing his testimony with me, that the prophecies of the Old Testament were the reason that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I was just overwhelmed with the evidence. There's nothing else in religion or in history that can compare with what Jesus has done in fulfilling the prophecies of God. So his apparent defeat became the pointer by which... God identifies him. This is the Messiah. This is the one I said would come to die. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Psalm 22 says that he would be pierced for our transgressions. Uh, it, it looks so much like Jesus' crucifixion that uh, Jewish scholars didn't like that translation too much. So they took those three Hebrew uh, roots and they repointed, which don't, don't worry about that. But basically what they did is they took the three same letters that could also be translated as, as a lion, but it makes no sense. Like a lion, my hands and feet. What, is, what does that mean? Okay. If, if a lion is doing something to you, he's probably biting you or scratching you anyway, and there's probably a piercing going on. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the more natural translation there is they pierced my hands and feet. Zechariah, also before Jesus was born, prophesied that the Messiah would come back in victory and power at the end of the age. And it says that the people of Israel would look on him whom they have pierced. And they will mourn because of him. I want to tell you something. The, the enemies of Jesus put a big asterisk beside his name. This is God's Messiah. When they put him to death. And so began God's surprising victory. God's surprising victory, how does he win it? Well, first of all, he confirms prophecy. Secondly, he overcomes opposition. He overcomes opposition. Verse 35, 
The people stood watching. We're told that some of the things that they said in opposition elsewhere uh, in the Scriptures. It says, even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They're mocking him. They're opposing him. Who opposed Jesus? Well, primarily, it was the Jewish leadership. And then, as Pilate gave in to their demands, as they stirred up the crowd and so forth, uh, he turned them over to the Roman officials who were charged with putting him to death. And they opposed him, and they mocked him, and they put a purple robe, and they spit upon him, and they took a, a rod and beat him about the head, as one of the other gospels shares with us. Ultimately nailed him to a cross in opposition, but there was a much more sinister opposition to Jesus than any of that opposition, and it was the opposition of Satan and his evil forces. Scripture tells us in uh, the Gospel of John that when Judas went out to betray Jesus, it was night. The devil had come upon him, and it was night. You see, the betrayal of Jesus and the opposition to Jesus were satanically motivated. Satan wanted to stop the work of Jesus Christ. All of the wisdom of hell, if you could call it that. All of the strategy of the Jewish leadership and how to put him to death was all for nothing. Because through Jesus' death, he won his greatest victory. His enemies that thought they would be finally rid of him found out three days later that they weren't. <laughs> He came to life, never to die again. And Jerusalem was never the same. And the world has never been the same. The Roman soldiers who mocked him found that Jesus would change the Roman Empire as souls were saved all across the Roman Empire so that even an emperor, even though he kind of did it in the wrong way, an emperor eventually made Christianity the, the religion of the Roman Empire. Is that not amazing? Talk about winning a victory. It all began at the cross. Through the cross, Jesus took care of the problem of sin. And that has always been our greatest problem. I mean, if you look at political issues in our nation, national life, if you look at the issues around the world, it is either involved with the curse of this world, as God cursed the, the earth in the time of, of the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God, or it is directly related to sin. Could be the sin of someone else, could be your sin, could be my sin, whatever. But it's related to sin. Sin is the basic driver of all human suffering and problems and heartache in this world. A lot of times people say, well, you know, this is an act of God. Hurricane or tornado, that's very apropos to what we've been experiencing lately. Um, they say, well, this is an act of God. Well, I will, I will grant that God is sovereign all, over all of these things. 
But ultimately, the reason we have all of these natural disasters is because we live in a cursed world. And the reason we live in a cursed world is because we've sinned against God. The Bible says one day there will be no curse. Why? Because Jesus hung on the cross. And Deuteronomy tells us that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus took our curse upon himself. Curse for our individual sin, but also the curse for all humanity. So much so that Romans 8 tells us, the creation groans, longing for the adoption of the children of God. There will be a day when Jesus comes back, and I believe a literal thousand-year millennium on this earth, where this earth will be restored to what it once was in the garden. Creation is groaning for that day. I believe it will be a world with no hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes. All of these things, I think, are a result of the curse of sin. Uh, so, not only does Jesus overcome our sin and the, the opposition that we have, because all of us, apart from Christ, the Scripture says we're enemies of God. Our heart is bent against Him. Uh, that is why, even though somebody may not actively hate God in, in their conscious mind, uh, in their heart, if they don't know Christ, they're, in, they're actually, they have a bent against the things of God. That's why the world says almost the opposite of every single thing the Bible teaches. Because there's a bent against it that is part of the, the old sin nature uh, that we inherited from Adam. Jesus overcomes all of that on the cross. But he also overcomes satanic opposition. Uh, the scripture says, uh, Colossians talks about the fact that he leads his enemies on public display. So uh, when Jesus was on the cross, Satan and all the hosts of his demons that came against him, Jesus was declaring his victory and he was showing off the defeat of his enemies and leading them in a triumphal procession like the Romans used to do. They'd carry around their, their captives behind them. Jesus says, listen, I've won the victory. And he defeated him. And the, and the scripture tells us, he, when you become a child of God, when you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, he transfers you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the devil's kingdom was spoiled on that day when Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus won a great victory. It is finished. So, God's surprising victory, how does he win it? Well, first of all, he confirms prophecy. Secondly, he overcomes opposition. Thirdly, I love this, he remembers sinners. Through the cross, he remembers sinners. Look at verse 40. By the way, when we talk, before I read this scripture, it says um, one of the criminals was mocking him, but the other criminal responds. You need to understand, the, the crucifixion probably began at 9 in the morning. This, the sky turns dark at noon and lasts all the way till 3 in the afternoon. So This is a long process 
that goes on. The other Gospels tell us about both criminals mocking. Sometimes skeptics will say, well, which is it? Were both of them mocking or was just one of them mocking? Yes. <laughs> both of them were mocking until one of them repented. And what, we, what Luke records, Luke records the repentance of this man who, who was uh, the thief on the cross, the criminal hanging beside Jesus. And uh, he, he has been convinced, as he observed Jesus, perhaps he observed some of Jesus' earthly ministry, but he definitely observed Jesus' response on the cross. And he was convicted. And finally, the other criminal is mocking. And uh, verse 40, he, he answers, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember me in your kingdom. One of the awesome victories of the cross was the fact that a holy God, a pure, righteous, spotless, perfectly good God, perfectly just God, could relate to broken, sinful human beings. Now the shock of this, I don't think because we're used to talking about these things, the shock of it doesn't really hit us full in the chest like it should. Here is a man who has been condemned by other sinners. They say not only is he guilty, but he is so guilty, he deserves capital punishment. He deserves the death penalty. And not only does he deserve the death penalty, but he deserves the worst death penalty that we could devise. He is the worst of the worst. He's the most guilty of the guilty. He does not deserve to live. This man says, Lord, will you remember me in your kingdom? I want to tell you, were it not for the cross, Jesus would have had to answer no. I can't remember you in my kingdom. You're, you've sinned against God. You're guilty. God is just. A penalty for your sin must be carried out. And by the way, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in that boat. All of us have sinned. Our sins, we, we may put the different degrees of severity, but the Bible says that God's standards perfection. Jesus said, be you perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect, and none of us are. So we're all guilty before God. We're all deserving of God's justice, of God's wrath, of God's eternal punishment in a place called hell. But hallelujah, because of the cross, we can be forgiven. Because of the cross, we can be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus through repentance and faith in Him. Because of the cross, we have hope that when we die, 
Though we are sinners, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, the gates of heaven are open wide. <laughs> what an amazing victory. What a powerful work that only God the Son could have achieved to die for the sins of all humanity. Every vile, wicked thing that could ever be conceived in this world was placed upon Jesus at the cross so that God could forgive our sin. Listen, I'm going to tell you, the blood, as we quoted this verse earlier during the Lord's Supper, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But what about somebody who has, fill in the blank, all sin? There are going to be some people in heaven that will surprise you because God forgives sin. Sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, people have these uh, jailhouse conversions, you know, and they, you know, and I recognize that sometimes people will use God as an excuse to try to get out of jail early. Okay, I recognize that. But I want to tell you something. God does save people in prison. And he changes them. I went to school with some of them that were studying to be pastors after they got out of prison. God changes sinners. He saves sinners. And Jesus said, look, some of you, you religious leaders, you think you're all that. But I'm going to tell you, the prostitutes and the murderers are going to go into heaven before you. Why? Because they recognize their need to put their trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus alone. There's no other way. You see, the victory that overcame our sin and its consequences and, and all of the heartache that is brought to our lives, to our families, through sin. All of it has been overcome at the cross. Now, we live kind of between two worlds. On the one hand, if you've repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have received his forgiveness. You're a child of God, and God has forgiven you. But you still live in a sinful world, and you still have an old nature you've got to fight with. And there's struggles. One day those struggles are going to be gone. And the, the power of what Jesus did at the cross in remembering sinners. One day I'm going to get, I don't know if, it, if, if this happens at the gate. I'm not sure of the details. But if it does happen at the gate, I'm going to get to the gate. And they're going to open a book and they're going to look and say, hey, this is the Lamb's book of life. Roger's name is written there. Why? Because he was good? No. Because he was worthy? No. Because he was all that? No. <laughs> for one reason and one reason only. Jesus died at the cross for his sin, and he received it in repentance and faith. And uh, that's the reason I'll enter heaven. That's my victory. That's my hope. And I'm going to tell you, when I get to heaven, there's going to be no sickness or disease, no curse, no heartache, no grief, no pain. Why? Because Jesus died at the cross. Victory. My victory. I cling to no other victory but the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.
He remembers sinners. Yes, the God that created the universe, who told the oceans how far they could go. He knows your name. He knows my name. And he remembers us. And he's reserved a place. Matter of fact, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's, he's designing it for us as we speak. And what a day that's going to be when we go and receive all he's prepared. So, God's surprising victory. How does he win this victory through the cross? He confirms prophecy, overcomes opposition. He remembers sinners. He reconciles enemies. I love that. I was reading in my devotions this morning in 2 Corinthians where it talks about, uh, Paul says that God, we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And, and God has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, it, it truly is a remarkable thing. Uh, we, were, we were talking uh, about uh, two uh, movie stars that uh, had gotten into a feud last night at my house. And uh, they were against each other and everything. And can you imagine... Some of these feuds, uh, I remember uh, that the Hatfields and the McCoys was one of the, the ones that happened in Tennessee, right? And uh, I remember when I first came here, we had some people named Hatfield that were coming here. And my wife supposedly is somehow related to the McCoys. And I said, the Hatfields and the McCoys go to our church. <laughs> but, uh, but listen, there was a feud, right? But that feud is now over, probably because everybody died off. But... Uh, I want to tell you, there's, there were irreconcilable differences between a holy God and a sinful people. And, and we don't really get the full, fullness of that because you and I aren't holy like God. We don't have his perfect, pure character. You know, sometimes we'll see something. We, have you ever seen something on the news that just, uh, maybe about a child or something like that, and it just makes you angry? And causes you to just kind of rise up and just want to say, you know, boy, I want to punch that guy in the nose or whatever, okay? And, and, and this sense of righteous indignation comes up in you. Okay, we just have a taste of that. God is perfectly holy. Can you imagine the righteous indignation he has every single day as he sees every single wicked thing? But he sees every single thing in our hearts. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says uh, that we offend in our speech, uh, that no one has controlled the tongue. We all offend with our speech. Uh, our words are against God. Our hearts are set against God. And we would not seek God were it not for his mercy. One of the Psalms that's actually quoted in Romans 3 says there was, there was none that, that sought after God. There none that seek God. Their throats are open graves, their hearts, and they're always going astray. And, and, and it's a description of the utter depravity of the human heart in going the opposite direction that God wants us to go. 
And were it not for the intervention of God's Holy Spirit and the enabling power of God's Holy Spirit that I believe he gives us enough of to make a decision for Christ, none of us would be saved. None of us. Listen, I want to tell you something. When, when God convicted my heart of my sinfulness and my need for repentance, I wasn't seeking after him. I was only in church because mom and dad made me go. Which, by the way, is a good thing. Don't let the world tell you you shouldn't bring your Let your kids make up your own mind. That is so stupid. Don't let them do that. Now, when they become adults, then they'll have to make their own decisions. But while they're in your house, I like what Tony Evans said. I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And guess what? It made a difference in his life. It made a difference in my life. But I wasn't seeking after God. But the Holy Spirit of God, in his grace and mercy, convicted my heart, showed me I was lost, drew me to faith over a period of about a year, in kindness, in gentleness, in mercy, because God loves us. Despite our sin, God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so, God's work in sending Jesus to die for our sin was not only taking our wrath upon himself and all of those things, the justice, satisfying God's justice, but it was also to make a way for those of us as Every, it's the condition of every person who are sinners who don't seek after God to make a way for us to enter into a relationship with God. One of the themes in Scripture, it's found in the book of Deuteronomy when God gave Israel the law. It's found in the prophets when the prophets speak of the restoration of Israel. Uh, and, and it's found in the book of Revelation when God finally brings us into that eternal state. God says these words, they will be my people, and I myself will be with them and be their God. And one scripture says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Do you ever see a mama comfort a little one? You know, they fall and boom, hit their face on the concrete, and you know, they've got the Got a mark. I had one of those right in the center of my forehead. I fell off a bike. Uh, and Mama pulls the little one into her lap. Daddy, we daddies aren't that good at this, but Mamas are great at it. And that Mom's uh, wipe away the tears. Come on, come on. You're okay. You're okay. Come on. Let's put a little medicine on that. Should we kiss it? Make it feel better? You know. And moms know how to do all that stuff. I feel weird even saying it. But um, uh, that's the, the, the personal picture that God gives us of his heart toward us. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. If you look in verse 45, or look at verse 44. It says, And now about noon the darkness came over the whole land until three. Darkness was the picture of the, the justice of God at Sinai, the wrath of God, and so forth. 
that is to carry that on Christ. But then, verse 45, but the sun's light failed and the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, which, by the way, is a quotation and a fulfillment of a prophecy from Psalm 31. Jesus, well, I don't have time to get into it and how he fulfills it, but uh, it is a direct quotation of that psalm. But the curtain of the sanctuary that split down the middle actually happened after Jesus' death. The other Gospels tell us that. But here, it is put in kind of a summary fashion over everything that's happening at the cross, because Luke's given us the Reader's Digest condensed version, and he's just kind of telling us specific things that happen. And he wants to end with this quotation from this prophecy, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And so he mentions the curtain beforehand. But the curtain was the picture of the reconciliation. And because Jesus took the justice and wrath of God, God was able to open the way into his presence. We've talked about that in previous weeks. I'm not going to camp out on it too long, but it truly is a marvelous thing. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. But if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you Jesus has paid for your sin in full. Past, present, future. Guess what? None of your sins take him by surprise because he sees the end from the beginning. He knew you were going to do it before you ever did it. Then say, oh, that, I thought Roger was better than that. He, he was never under any illusion, okay? He knew exactly who I was, and he died for me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what he did was he took away the barrier. Because my sin's a barrier. And yes, I can have fellowship broken as a Christian when I sin, and I confess that and have that fellowship restored. But the price has already been paid for that sin. The wrath has already been carried out for that sin. So I can come boldly. I can come eagerly. I can come expectantly into the presence of God Knowing that he is delighted to meet me there. What a wonderful truth. So, Jesus' victory is that he opened the way into God's presence and he reconciled us to God through his cross. What an amazing victory. Satan tempted Eve to bring in the barrier, right? Adam and Eve cast out of the garden. Jesus restores the openness that we can have with God through the cross. And that's what the curtain of the sanctuary is all about. He reconciles us as God's enemies. God's surprising victory, how does he win it? He confirms prophecy, overcomes opposition, he remembers sinners, he reconciles enemies. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the price has been paid. The work has been done. It is finished, paid in full. Jesus asks you to respond by faith, and faith involves a decision to repent of your sin. That is a decision to turn from your sin in your own way to follow Jesus, and a, a decision to
to receive what Jesus has done at the cross by faith. Simple trust. Jesus paid it all. I put my trust in him and the price he paid at Calvary's cross for my forgiveness. I trust him. This is what Jesus requires, and, and he's asking you to make that decision today if you don't know him. And you need to make that decision sincerely. So you may have to pray a prayer first about, Lord, change my heart, enable me to genuinely repent and put my trust in you. But I want to tell you, God wants to help you with that, and he will help you with that. And then when you make that decision, you'll be adopted into his family. And you'll be his forever. Eternal life is just that. It's eternal. So, if you don't know Jesus, that's what you need to do. If you do know Jesus, you need to recognize that God keeps his promises, right? These prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus just show the faithfulness of God. And the fact that he cannot fail. He's worthy of our trust. Put your trust in him. Whatever you're going through. Uh, the disciples had headed for the hills. They were afraid. A few women were staying behind and they were watching from a distance. But even though all of these things were happening, God was faithful. They may not have seen what God was doing through that circumstance, but God was faithful and he was at work. They could trust him and we can trust him. Put your trust in Jesus. Take your burdens to him. Also, Never lose the wonder and the, uh, at, the, at what God has done and the victory that is there in the cross. And uh, also, never underestimate the power of what has been done. Don't you hang your head when you come into the presence of God. If you've confessed your sin to God, the cross is enough. I'm here to tell you. I've come with my head hung down plenty of times into the presence of God, but I tell you, not another time I should have done that because I have found that the cross is sufficient to cover every sin. Its power is unlimited. Where sin abounded, there did grace much more abound. It always has enough power to draw us near to, to, to Jesus and to the Father. Uh, put your trust in what? Jesus has done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, encouraging word about this time of victory. And Lord, maybe somebody's going through a time of, of apparent defeat. But Lord, I pray that we would lift our eyes to you and recognize that you're the God of the resurrection. And you're, you're the God who can lift us up when we're broken. And uh, Lord, help us trust in you. And Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to make a decision to repent and put their trust in Jesus, Father.